telling Caroline, I'm not good at making resolutions. Uh, actually, I'm very good at making them. I'm just not good at keeping them. And uh, so I don't really do resolutions, but I do have desires. Uh, so I just call them desires more than resolutions. And my desire, I was telling her the other day, what I really want to do is love people more deeply. Because I, like all of us, we get busy in life and we can, I think, we rob people of who we are because there's some beauty that God is putting in in me and we don't share that beauty as much as we could and so because he's just made us so unique and there's some really neat parts of you that I want to know better and vice versa so and I realized that Phil's uh, God's sovereignty and control and how he orchestrates everything. We're going to be talking about prayer this year. And prayer really is one great way to begin the process of love, loving others more deeply. Um, so I'm going to go over just a o quick overview of John 17. And so uh, we'll be doing lots of, oh, I found a leaf, put it in my Bible. Um, doing lots of uh, just an uh, overview, and so it's going to help if you do have your phone Bible with you or, or paper Bible, um, and because uh, I'll be just kind of plowing through these, and hopefully I'll say something that might give you some handles, uh, something to take with you, um, and uh, hopefully uh, finish pretty quickly, not a long, not a long service today. Um, so John chapter 17, and uh, just a little background, it really is a key chapter in the Gospel of John, because everything before 17 was the story of Jesus, and Jesus' teaching, and just the culmination of gathering his disciples, and his ministry, and his work, and everything after John 17 is the main event of dying, really. Jesus is about ready to hop up on the cross uh, and suffer. And this is the, the, uh, the silent, deep, meaningful, uh, uh, sincere, serene prelude to all of that. And he is with his own, his very dear, dear disciples. Um, and so in, in John chapter 17, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words... And so when I read that, I said, wait, what words? What, what's going on? And so I backed up, and I went back, back, and because I, I wanted to see what he was doing. So they're in the upper room, and it's Jesus and his 12 disciples, including Judas, who's still there. In John chapter 13, we go back and we see that this is where they are. And... Um, he says, now before, in 13.1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, and so scene change, it's kind of like we don't get the buildup we get in other gospels, like, you know, go and find and prepare the room. We don't really get that um, here. But scene changed, and so Jesus is in, in the room. And so during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to, 
to betray him. So he begins to wash his disciples' feet. But yet, um, and then in um, verse 21 of 13, I love this because he says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. That means I get to be troubled in my spirit too, and it's okay. Because Jesus was troubled in his spirit. There's no sin in that. There's no temptation in that. It's just we live in a fallen world. And Jesus was in and among us in the fallen world. And the reason that he was troubled in his spirit is because Judas was in the room. And he had some final things he wanted to say to his dearly beloved disciples other than Judas. And so they go through the scene. <gasps> Who is it, Lord? Who's going to betray? You know, he says, it's the one I dipped. And he says, oh, so Judas gets up. He leaves. The devil enters into Judas, and he's gone, finally, the 11. And then Jesus really begins to unload in the best possible beautiful way on his disciples. He begins to speak more and more clearly. And the waters, instead of the muddy Sullivan's Island waters, you get the Caribbean clear blue. And it's just clear, and Jesus begins to speak precisely. Figurative language is gone, and his disciples are just beginning to be excited. They, at one point, they even say, now you're, you're speaking to us without any figurative language, and this is amazing. And, you know, and, and it's funny because Jesus says, um, what? You really believe all this? In just a little bit, you guys are all going to be out of here scattered because you say you don't know. He brings them back to it. So we, we, he tells them uh, uh, just to work up here. Um, so he's washing the disciples' feet. Judas leaves. He begins to really um, tell them some things before he gets up on the cross. And he tells them that he's... He gives them a new commandment. As soon as Judas is gone, he gives them a new commandment. Um, and he says in 1334, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. So uh, he begins this, this final teaching. Um, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life in 14. He promises the Holy Spirit in 14. And the Holy Spirit does come, and, and, and they receive the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. Um, so he promises the Holy Spirit. And in 15, he talks about, I'm the true vine, remain in me. And so he's encouraging his disciples before he leaves. And then in 15, he says, the hatred of the world is going to be upon you. And we still feel this today as believers, don't we? The hatred of the world is upon us. But he's building up to something that's going to be very powerful for us in this new year and in our, in our life. And I'm trying to take it as a, a new year thing for me. Um, and so the hatred of the world, but then he, in 16, he goes to the work of the Holy Spirit. So Judas is gone, the 11, Jesus is really, really, he has circled up his disciples and he says, okay, guys, you know, I'm going to teach, just listen to me for a minute because he knows he's going. And he talks about the work, um, of the uh, Holy Spirit, and he says something very important in 16 that I always try to remember when I get frustrated with Jesus because he's not telling me things I need to know. And he says in verse uh, six, uh, chapter 16, verse 12, 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. And that's still true today, isn't it? There's things that, and, and you look back on your life, just like I do, and think if Jesus had actually really shared with you what was going to happen three years from that point. Would that have been better for you? Yeah, we would have maybe turned and run the other way. Um, so he says, the world's going to be after you. The world's going to hate you. I have more stuff to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. You can't bear it right now. And then finally, as we're approaching 17, I have overcome the world. He says in 17. So when in chapter 17, when Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. What words? All these words we just talked about. And said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So powerful right there. So powerful. All flesh. He is given authority over all flesh. That means those people who are getting ready to put him on the cross he has authority over those people, and he's just using them to accomplish his work there. Um, I glorified you on earth, or excuse me, and this is eternal life, verse 3, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, that in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. With the glory that, and I boxed this in in my Bible because it was so important to me when I was reading this, I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus really is following an outline that he gives us in, um, the, like a key to chapter 17 is 1628. And 1628 says, I came from the Father, I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. This is true of every single one of us. We can, in, in a sense, this we can ground ourselves this year, and or I try to ground myself this year in saying and starting almost every single one of my prayers, no matter what catastrophe may I may think is befalling me, or how my emotions are going out the roof, or how I don't understand what my work is doing, or or my financial situation or whatever, it's almost like Jesus is giving us a lesson here on prayer where he, he says in 16:28, I came from the Father, so did we. I've come into the world, here we are. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father, and so shall we. It's great. So he says where he came from, number one, if you might need handles, some, I know there's little handles to grab onto on the, the subway. I remember the, the, the subway in Hong Kong, man. You grab onto the handle or you're going. Grab onto the handle. Number one, there's three parts to this prayer in 17, where he came from, where he is now, where he's going. 
And all of us, too, can ground ourselves, because I especially need grounding sometimes. We like complete loops. We like to be grounded and, and say, okay, I, I, need, I need a sense of where I'm at. I, ne- I need to ground myself. I need this. And so um, this is a good grounding, because no matter what is going on in life, we're redeemed. We are safe. And there's nothing that we can do. One of the things I love about God is he is not going to allow us to wiggle out of his hand or to send ourselves away from him. It cannot happen. And this is a rest, a peace, a joy. You cannot wiggle out of God's hand. No matter how much you might feel you have sinned, no matter how much shame and guilt that you allow the devil to be placed upon you and me, it does not make us ill of beings salvifically. We are saved. Now, it does make a hill of beings relationally, but not salvifically. Relationally, we do damage when we sin, right? Because it is about the relationship. Now, that's not about salvation. It is about relationship, and that's very, very important. Relational uh, sin does hurt, our relationship, but not salvifically, and that's the wonderful understanding. So, John chapter 17, and very quickly, and again, Phil's going to drill down on some major parts and really bring out, and so I'm just going to do a quick, or just kind of an overview, about uh, five more minutes here. Um, So he says uh, in verse 6, so the first part was, in verses 1 through 5 is where we came from. And now 6 through 19 is what he's doing here. Missions, where we are here in the fallen world. Wait, do we still have keys in our pockets, everybody? Okay, still in the fallen world, right? Verse 6, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and you kept your word. Now, a great picture of discipleship for me. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they and have come to know in truth that I came from you. That was his mission. And they have believed that you sent me, and I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. Nice distinction. Very clear. I'm not praying for the world. not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, all your, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And of course he's still in the world, but he's leaving. So he says, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, I'm leaving, and, and, uh, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14 I've given them your word and your world, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Very clear. I love the clear water. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Great mission statement. You have to pause there. We are missionaries, all of us. And you say, well, I was born in Mount Pleasant. I was raised in Mount Pleasant. Caroline, born on Sullivan's Island, raised on Sullivan's Island, Mount Pleasant. Each of the people is her home. Every time she goes over the bridge, I'm home. How can I be a missionary if this is home? This is where I'm born. Well, you are sent from the womb by God. You are sent into the world no matter where we are. You don't have to go to Greece or China or Mongolia or Timbuktu. You are a missionary because you're sent by God. You're not of this world. You're a different culture. You're a different world, different kingdom. And right where you are, God has moved mountains and manipulated things and and just orchestrated things just right so you would be just under that boss that you hate so much so that you can impact them and under those uh, employees that you might be over so that you can impact them or next to that neighbor so that you can impact them. God says, I sent you. No matter where you are, I put you right there. Cross-cultural, you bet. Kingdom to world. That's as cross-cultural as we're going to get. Heaven and fallen world. Citizens of God, citizens of the world. Totally different. We're different. We're a little bit peculiar because God changed our hearts. We're not like the world. The world's going to hate us. Um, but yet, he's not left us alone and says, overcome the world. Finally, verse 20. The last part is where he's going. And this is a reminder to us, no matter what goes on, we're out of here. One day we're out of here. Think of those people you know, a lot of them are grandparents or, or relatives or moms and dads or whatnot that have passed on into glory at this point. When you think back, they, if they could think back, their life is a blooper, just, just so fast, so fast. And for those of us who are getting a little older, it's like, where did it go? Time is, wow, I remember when I was being yanked up by my mom to drive her to church or something. And now, here I am, 53, and my kids are 18 and 17 and 12, and like, wow, it's like, I'm going to be... 90 one day and on a plane and be like, where did my life go? I had heroin. Anyway. So, in verse 20, he's, his, his departure. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. I love this. He's just passing the torch to us. That they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Get the sense of unity. Also may be in, in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. For the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That 
they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Boy, he's drilling unity. Um, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is an amazing statement because he's, he's like, God, they don't see it yet. I've been to the mansion. I'm from the mansion. I'm from the kingdom of God. They haven't even seen it yet. They have no idea, but I want them to see it. I want them to feel it, to know it, and to be there with me. Then they'll really have their eyes open. I can't wait for them to see our relationship together. I can't wait for that either. And Jesus' desire for me to see with him is he wants to show himself off and show his relationship with his father off to us and bring us into that. That's pretty cool. All right. So he says, um, from the foundation of the world, verse 25, O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you sent me. Made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. He's going to keep on like he does, even now today. He's making it known through the reading of his word and through prayer, through the body. He's making it known, tweet, tweet. Um, and then um, I've made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So, that's John chapter 17. Phil's going to drill down a lot deeper on various points of that, and, and uh, um, uh, that'll be a, a, a good thing. So, it's about 11.18 right now, and I'm going to ask one of the elders to come up.